Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 145th episode of the Newt Boozman podcast, the podcast all about legendary country western actor Newt Boozman. I am your host, Perry Finn, and this is, dare I say, the most special episode that we have had so far. I'm incredibly excited about this. With me in studio today, the grandson of legendary actor Newt Boozman, Joining me, Charlie Boozman. Charlie, thank you so much for allowing us to to have you on the podcast today. Hey, hey, hey how are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I, I'm okay. I think I'm okay. Oh, God, I am so excited to, to just get in there and pick your brain and find out everything about growing up. Just imagining having Newt Boozman as a grandfather. It, I can't even imagine. Well, how, like I, I told you in the pre-interview, I, I was pretty small when he was around, but... Um, it uh, from what I've heard and from what I remember, it it wasn't um, it wasn't that great. Um, he was definitely infatuated with his career, and um, some um, female acquaintances. Uh, he the alcohol it was a huge problem. Uh, drugs. I mean, I don't know what type of drugs back then, but my grandmother said a lot of drugs. Okay. Um, well, I mean, we you know. The industry is very demanding, and I'm sure that, you know, uh, I've heard those rumors as well, but I'm sure that he had to take the uppers to keep up with the rigorous schedule, and thank God he did, because we, he gave us wonderful movies like Three Bullets, One Hole. Yeah, 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 I've, he- I've, heard, I've heard you talk about things like this, but um, the domestic violence in the abandonment of, abandonment of his family, um, I don't know, I don't know how you can, you can sit there and say that that's all fine because he's a big movie star. I mean, there was one time in particular that my grandmother said that he came home. He he hadn't been home in months, and uh, the slightest little thing set him off. Held a gun to her head. Uh, had my brother had a belt around his neck, telling him to stop screaming. That, that reminds me of one of my favorite scenes from Bareback Billy and the Cactus Kid when he went into the when he went into the bar and he had the barkeep the barmaid had messed up his drink order do you remember that do you remember that yeah i've seen that it's one it's so fantastic and he played it so real i wonder if he drew from from life experiences like what you were just describing to put forth into that character it was so believable i mean such a great performance yeah um um i bet it was pretty believable because that's how he treated his entire family every time he was around them i mean it was a uh, it was worse than a Western. I mean, um, he shot his brother. Uh, he, he somehow, he, just because of money and some big Hollywood lawyer, he got out of it, shot him right in the arm. He almost bled out right there. That, the- just like in Sundown in Poketown, where he shot his brother Cletus, except for it was in the left leg in the movie. Do you remember that scene? Well, that was, yeah, that I, was such a great scene. Yeah, but, but his brother was driving away in a Pontiac. And he he was mad about something, and he just shot through the window. Shot, shot him right in the shoulder. I mean, he never knew it was coming. It was almost like a shot in the back. Well, listen, just uh, you, I think you need to go a little uh, a little easy on him. I don't think you understand the, and I don't mean to any disrespect. I don't think you understand the demand that he was in. In the see, he was relevant throughout the fifties, sixties, and seventies, starring in thirty-seven motion pictures in just those three decades. I'm aware of uh, all of that. I know, you know all of that. That's got to be stressful, you know. And and yeah, he might have brought a little bit of that stress home. You uh, might have interviewed the wrong uh, grandchild because just a few years ago, I met like six of his grandkids from different. We had a big reunion. Uh, great grandkids that he'd never met, but. Uh, um, some of them are real, you know, they're gung ho about him. He, it, after he left our family penniless and, and starving to death, 
he married off somewhere else and he actually took care of that family really well. And it was almost like he had a brand new life. You know, you said penniless. Do you remember his wife's name was Penny and my personal favorite movie of his Ricochet Ricky and the Pork Belly Bandits? Yeah. And he would call her penniless sometimes. Do you remember in the movie because they were broke and he had to go out making money uh, being a cow, a cow hustler? Do you remember yeah. that? Well, remember that yeah. I mean, but if you look at his real life, I mean, he was quite wealthy, but his family never we they never saw any of that money that i mean they're pretty much starving to death back at home okay well you know it sounds like you uh i gotta tell you you're not doing your grandfather any you're not doing his legacy any favors by by saying those things yeah well he wasn't a great guy i mean uh, you just know him from what you've seen him on on movies and and tv shows and you don't know the real the real guy Look, the man that I saw in Lasso Larry, Big City Nights, and Bareback Billy 2, The Return of Stinky Pete, could not have done any of those things. And he certainly would not have killed himself like the mainstream media and everyone wants us to believe. We all know, everyone knows, he passed away while saving people from a burning nursing home. Yeah. Like the hero he was. Yeah, that story's out there, but the police report and 12 people on Thanksgiving of 1978 would, would beg to differ. Uh, he shot himself right in front of everyone. Uh, you know this story, uh, and you might call it a conspiracy theory, but uh, shot himself right in front of everyone. The, the blood's on the wall. My poor grandmother, she never did recover from it. She died just like a year later. I mean, it was, but she was just in shock that entire year, basically ruined the last year of her, of her life. Hmm. Okay. Not to change the subject or anything, but uh, what's your favorite movie of his? Well, well, as I said before, I don't really like any of his movies. They bring back some bad. My memories. favorite is has to be, and it took me a long time to arrive at this. But if out of out of his entire catalog, it's probably got to be Dust on the Saddle. And I'll tell you why: the scene where he has to steal that horse from the bandit to get away from the guys that just came into the saloon that were trying to shoot him. But the horse that he steals has a lazy eye. <laughs> so instead of running away from the saloon, he just runs circles around it. And he has plenty of time for the bandits to come out there. Ever since the earth has circled the sun, there have been fantastic tales of wonder and mystery that the faint of heart dare not discuss. But two brave, uninformed souls have the brass to tackle every extraordinary happenstance from the modern age to the dawn of Mantis. If you like what we're dishing out here, make sure you go to www.donamantis.com. Also, you can find us on Twitter at Donamantis Joe, episode 75, the Texas Bell Tower shooting, part two, the morning of. The morning of. Yeah. There has to be a morning after. <laughs> I was thinking about that when we put that, when we put that title down. Uh, what's going on tonight? Not a whole lot. I want to share a story with you oh, and everybody out there. In all Pike. right. First off, hell no. First off, cue up the sound effect. <laughs> Yay! Yay! There is our court popping and wino slurping. That's the only sound effect I could find of just like the slurping. I mean, I guess I could edit out the rest, but I thought, 
you know, I thought it was funny how fast the the person started drinking he right went after right the, to that. It's like, hey, congratulations. You, <laughs> you know, it's like anyway. So several weeks ago, I said that okay. So uh, out of all the podcast apps that you choose to listen to us on, or that one could, uh, I call them Paps, Paps podcast apps, Paps <laughs> like Paps Blue Ribbon. I don't know what's happening. I was thinking Paps Smear, but. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> The only one that provides analytics is SoundCloud. Now, I know uh, roughly only about 25 to 30% of your audience is on SoundCloud. If you have a podcast, that's just to tuck that in your hat and remember that. Yep, that's right. But uh, according to the SoundCloud analytics, I said a few weeks ago, once we passed 10,000 plays, we'd pop a cork and we passed 10,000 plays. 10K. A few days ago. So uh, 10K, baby. Hooray for us. Yeah. So we really appreciate you listening. Uh, you know, if shoot us a line say congrats or say hey i'm here from uh sydney australia <laughs> we just oh oh we're just lost an australian i'm listener. sorry oh sorry i want to be one of those podcasts that i listen to that really that they do have now i know we do have some listeners in the uk and stuff but they'll be like oh we got this email from teddy in brisbane or whatever you know and as eddie says yeah. oh, right uh, orange madrid <laughs> Right, yeah, we talk about UFOs or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We want some constructive criticism. Why don't you guys talk about this? <laughs> it's like we talk about so much, but there's got to be something that you're itching for us to talk about. Yeah. Um, anyway, so let us know. We, we're, we're glad to do this. We have fun doing it. And we like that there are some people out there that are listening. That's kind of cool. It is we, cool. We, we feel you. We feel your presence. So speaking of talking about, <laughs> tonight we're talking about Charles Whitman. Okay. Again. That's right. This is episode 75, the Texas Bell Tower shooting, part two, the morning of. The morning. There has to be a morning <laughs> after. Did I already do that joke on this? Uh, I think so. I, I think got I deja vu. Oh, boy. What happened? It was so good, I had to do it twice. The bit's so nice, I did it twice. Oh, that was kind of cool. Are you ready? Yes. In May of 1966, exhausted from years of abuse, Margaret Whitman told her sons that she had finally decided to divorce their asshole father. Charles rushed to Florida to move his mother back to Austin to be near him. While they were packing, Charles was so worried about his dad showing up and hurting someone that he called the local police to stand by until they were finished and had left. His younger brother, John, also made the move to Austin, while the middle son, Patrick, stayed in Florida to continue working at the family plumbing supply business. You know what I w- You know what slogan I'd have if, uh, if I had a plumbing supply <laughs> what? in Austin, Texas? I would say, we got the best elbows in the South. I don't know. This- <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I was just thinking that would have a ring to it. <laughs> the best elbows in the South. Yeah. We got the best elbows in South Texas, y'all. Come on down. That's not funny. That's I promise, also that, I promise in none of that's funny. That but slogan I think has been taken already. There's a psoriasis cream out of Georgia. Dang it. And they already have that slogan. They're like, ah, uh, if you if you say that one more time on your commercial commercial, we're gonna we're gonna sue you. Hey, you know a Mitch Hedberg joke I never heard before until today? What? Dr. Scholl's. I never heard the Dr. Scholl's joke. Have you heard it before? I don't know. It's I like don't... you would think. I, he said, I think it was a waste of a degree to, to be a doctor <laughs> and to finally figure out that people are going to like it if you put cushions in their shoes. <laughs> he said, I think I would have bought it if it was a Mr. Scholl. 
I thought it was pretty you good. You didn't have to become a PhD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd trust you. <coughs> Cushion in the shoes. I wore Dr. Scholl's shoes you to do? school. Yeah, oh, I, I cool. did. Oh, you did? It wasn't cool. They <laughs> wasn't were cool. white Velcro Dr. Scholl's <laughs> shoes because I kept having uh, ingrown toenails. Oh. So my parents thought maybe our scrawny, redheaded son with glasses could get more shit kicked out of him if he also wore prescription shoes. So that happened. I wore them one day, and I brought them home, and I said, "I'm never wearing these shoes to school again." Well, why didn't? Why wasn't it like Mama said? Those my magic shoes. <laughs> they could get my ass kicked anywhere. <laughs> and they did by and the lockers <laughs> in the cafeteria between the school buses. Everywhere I went, I couldn't run like the wind blows. I was a slow little bastard. <laughs> And then that's the reverse Forrest Gump. It's not so uplifting. Now, one would think that once Margaret and the boys were back in Austin, over a thousand miles away from C.A. Whitman and his abuse, everything would be daisies, right? Sure. Not exactly, Ivan. Once in Austin, Margaret landed a job working in a cafeteria and got an apartment near the home where Charles and Kathleen lived. However, C.A. Whitman was not ready to let his wife go. He claimed later to have spent over $1,000 in long-distance calls begging her to return home and begging Charles to convince her to return home. $8,000. In a phone bill. Yeah. Now, that's in today's money. Back in 66, he literally paid $1,000, but adjusted for inflation, $8,000. Now, we were talking about this before air, and uh, these days, you know, like you said, long distance calls are kind of not a thing. Yeah. Cell phones, when they first came out, I mean, I remember that you had a roaming or, or you had like a nationwide plan that you had to pay for or else if you got the cheap plan, it was all local. Do you remember like nights and weekend minutes? And yeah. Oh yeah. I remember that. It's like, oh, I got to wait till eight. Then I can call my friend. Yeah. And or, that was landline stuff. Yeah. I, I do remember those ridiculous. things. Oh, yeah. are you Jewish? You have Hanukkah minutes. <laughs> There's so many. I, every month was a battle. I'd get my cell phone bill. All I wanted to do was call and talk to my friends, right? And do the T, was it T9 texting? Yeah, T9, yeah. But I would get a goddamn cell phone bill every month for like $400, and I'd be like, can I not just talk to my friends every once in a while on my phone without having to mortgage my house? Yeah, that was those were dark times. I, I remember <laughs> way back before that, uh, when I was like a teenager and I had a pager. I think I've told this story on the podcast. You before. did, go ahead. Because I'd get a page and I'd... I'd Make sure my friends know it. I'd be like, oh, I'm getting a page. Hey, 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 I'm getting a page. You know, it's like, you need to know this. But it would be your dad saying, buy bread. Yeah, and I would go back and it would, I'd call the numbers like, hey, what's up? Yeah. It's like, hey, could up? you bring home some bread and some bologna? And you're like, yeah, sure. I don't know. I might be able to take you out next weekend. Sure thing, babe. <laughs> like, son, why did you? No. Uh, yeah, I'll get it. I'll get the bread. I'll get the bread. Yeah. Oh, you want to oh, get bread? Yeah. <laughs> Sure thing, babe. Yeah. So, so that's like, who was that? It's like, ah, oh, some girl. I don't really like her anymore. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. sure, sure, nerd. <laughs> it's like I never see you with any girls. It's like, and you just turn one down. It's like you, you might want to call her uh, back. That's just some little thought that caught some feelings, you know? Yeah. It's like she's in love with me, but I just she's in love with this baloney pony. She, she don't be- even know it. <laughs> yeah. Did you hear me say baloney? <laughs> yeah. That's what I was talking about. <laughs> baloney pony. Uh, by the way, I got to stop at the store on the way home. <laughs> it's like I just randomly thought about this. Yeah, nothing to do with what we were talking about. That's right. Yep. So anyway, Whitman, 
So where 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 are we at with him? We're we're on July thirtieth. Okay, July thirtieth. That's the day that his father finally withdrew financial support from Charles and his wife Kathleen. This stress on top of everything else is more than likely what pushed Charles Whitman over the edge. Along with his prescribed medications, Charles also began taking amphetamines, which is always a good choice. Sure. Yeah, that's great. And uh, he said in later letters that these caused tremendous headaches. But did they? Because we know something that a lot of people oh. don't. Yeah, we do. We do. <laughs> After a year of trying in vain to suppress his violent urges and quell his morbid fantasies of shooting people from the tower, an emotionally and mentally exhausted Charles Whitman finally decided to give in. Mm. Yep. And I keep ex- I think I keep accidentally calling him Charles Whitman, but we all know it's Whitman. Let's just play along. <laughs> my mouth. <laughs> just is play dry. my little game. <laughs> no, that's good. So the morning of July thirty first, nineteen sixty six, Charles Whitman went to a hardware store and he bought a set of binoculars and a knife i hope he got some good mead ones or something tasco he must have (laughs) as we'll find out later wait no no no. i hope he didn't (laughs) i hope the damn things fell apart and they couldn't even use them you're like i hope he had really accurate vision from up there for what he had planned later (laughs) i didn't think about how stupid that was (laughs) hopefully everything worked out for him you need the right tool for the right job it's what you need it's what i always say sorry From there, he went to a local 7-Eleven and bought a can of Spam before picking his wife up from her summer job as a telephone operator. Man, I miss Spam. I love it, but it's not good for you. I don't buy it anymore. I was going to say, you don't have to miss it. They still make it. I know, but it's like 50,000 milligrams of sodium for every bite. Every bite's well worth it. Uh, Well, you're right. When you have blood pressure issues, it's not. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) But hey, uh, it's like I reminisce. Listen, folks, real quick. Buy you a bag of egg noodles, one pound egg sure. noodles, boil them up, get them nice and soft, drain them, get you a large family-sized can of cream of mushroom soup, pour that in, mix it up, dice a bunch of Spam up, pour that in as well, mix it up, salt and pepper to taste. I feel like that would still be good without the Spam. I feel like that'd still be Probably, good. but the Spam is just like... Maybe wow. use hamburger meat. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, I I, st- I think the cream of mushroom is making it. Oh, it? Yeah. Get away from me, crane. That's a mave. That's a- Get away from me, you crane fly. <laughs> Got a crane fly that's landing in mine. Yeah, we left the door open for a little bit. While that's okay. Ago. Not a good idea. That's okay. Um, after he, after this, he met his mother at uh, the Wyatt Cafeteria for lunch. Now, that's not far from the university. A few hours later, he picked Kathleen back up, and the two of them went to the apartment of John and Fran Morgan. In the 60s, there were still people named Fran who were not, you know, 80. And they were close friends what of theirs. What about the nanny named Fran? <laughs> oh. Don't get me started on her. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the two couples visited just. I like how you can instantly the speed of light become creepy. <laughs> I'll be a Mister Sheffield. <laughs> anyway, that's like my one of my daughter's favorite shows. Mister Sheffield. Yeah. It's actually a pretty funny show. Yeah, I don't know. I just stared at her with my mouth open, with my mouth agape. Yeah, that's uh, kind of had the opposite effect. It wasn't really comedy for you, was it? <laughs> <laughs> Not really. Yeah. I, I, yeah, she's she's quite fancy. Yeah, Nancy. Never watched it with pants on. Go figure. <laughs> the two couples visited until just before 6 p.m., at which time they left so that Charles could pick Kathleen. I'm sorry, could drop. I, I, I got Fran on the brain now. I can't talk. They left just before 6 so Charles could drop Kathleen back off at her job for the second part of her split shift that went from 6 to 10 o'clock in the night. In the in the night, <laughs> yeah. No, I got you. I got you frazzled. I'm night! sorry. Yeah, I know. After dropping her off, Charles returned to his and Kathleen's home at 906 Jewel Street, 
and he began typing his suicide note. It read as follows. What do you think Charles Whitman sounded like? I was going to try to do a... It was the 60s in Texas, but he's from Florida. Yeah, that's true. And I, the joke I made earlier, about I put the hardware store in the wrong place, but... Yeah, uh, yeah, probably kind of a little southern draw. Isn't there? Is there a recording of him at all? Not that I know of. Of course, why would there be? Right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. There's. He has lots of written stuff. Like I said, the the diary, if you want to call it that, that he had. Mm, um, lots yeah. of pictures of him, but I haven't heard his voice. Yeah. So we'll forget that. All right. I would say, if I had to guess, I would say he he's very well spoken because I think he had a pretty strict father. Yes. So I think he I think he couldn't really have the lazy speech. No, and he's from Florida, mm-hmm. the beach. Okay. Near the beach. All okay. Right. I do not quite understand <laughs> why it compels me to type this letter. Oh! I'm just kidding. <laughs> why is he the fish from SpongeBob? Yes! Let's catch some gnarly white cast bro. Sorry. I do not quite understand what it is that Hey, I was listening to Don Amantis. You know, those guys, they they give these grim cases the utmost respect. That's what I really enjoy about them. This is a review I was reading. They don't mess around when they're talking about matters of life and death and murder and mayhem. We'll screech up your board and catch some waves, bro. <laughs> oh, yeah. We would never get that review. No. I do not. I do not quite understand what it is that compels me to type this letter, Charles said. Perhaps he didn't say Charles said that was me. He didn't like do it in second person or third person. Perhaps it is to leave some vague reason for the actions I have recently performed. Now, he hadn't recently performed, but he's going to. I do not realize. Yeah, why do you do that? I guess this was going to be like, this is what will be left after all this is done. Oh, yeah. So it's like a timeline type thing. Yeah, that makes sense. So he continues, I do not really understand myself these days. And on look, in all seriousness, just for a second, he, I know, you're like, one. No, he, he, honest to God, tried to get help. Sure. As, as I'm about to, he lays it right out. Like, I know something's wrong with me. I've been trying to figure it out for a long time. I haven't been able to, so I'm about to flip my shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's the basic nutshell of this, but yeah. I'll, I'll continue. Yeah. Yeah. I, I bet this has been studied by mental health for sure. professionals. It should have if, if it hasn't been. He said, I do not really understand myself these days. I'm supposed to be an average, reasonable, and intelligent young man. However, lately, I cannot recall when it started. I have been a victim of many unusual and irrational thoughts. These thoughts constantly recur, and it requires a tremendous mental effort to concentrate on useful and progressive tasks. In March, when my parents made a physical break, I noticed a great deal of stress. I consulted a Dr. Cochram at the University Health Center and asked him to recommend someone that I could consult with about psychiatric disorders I felt I had. I talked with a doctor once for about two hours and tried to convey to him my fears that I felt come overwhelming violent impulses. After one season, I never saw the doctor session. I'm sorry. I never saw the doctor again. And since then, I have been fighting my mental turmoil alone and seemingly to no avail. After my death, I wish that an autopsy should be performed on me to see if there is any visible physical disorder. I have had some tremendous headaches in the past and have consumed two large bottles of Excedrin in the past three months. It was after much thought that I decided to kill my wife, Kathy, tonight after I pick her up from work at the telephone company. 
I love her dearly, and she has been as fine as wife to me as any man could ever hope to have. I cannot rationally pinpoint any specific reason for doing this. I don't know whether it is selfishness or if I don't want her to have to face the embarrassment of my actions and what they will surely cause her. At this time, though, the prominent reason in my mind is that I truly do not consider this world worth living in and am prepared to die, and I do not want her... I do not want to leave her to suffer alone in it. I intend to kill her as painlessly as possible. Similar reasons provoke me to take my mother's life also. I don't think the poor woman has ever enjoyed life as she is entitled to. She was a simple young woman who married a very possessive and dominating man. And he continues the letter in kind of like unintelligible handwriting. Okay. But okay. Up, up till then it was typed. Um. So do you want to unpack that for a minute or that's a lot? Yeah. So he feels sorry for his mom because his mom was married to his dad. That was not a nice guy. Uh, so killer. Yeah. None of it makes sense. And kill your own wife, you know, but obviously we, we probably know why he's probably saying a lot of these things. Um, uh, man, I, there's not much to unpack there. It's strange that even in the, I mean, note- there's a lot to unpack there, but I, it's like, it's like putting rationalism on irrational. Well, that's a good. That's kind of. That's, that's a good point. Tough to do. There's like, no way he was coming from a totally irrational place. So you're right. With for us to try to be like, no, let's rationalize all this. It, it's not possible. He says it himself. I can't even pinpoint the reason sure. I'm doing this. Yeah. Isn't it bizarre? Yeah. It. You know, it's. It kind of reminds me of some things that I've read about, like how. Um, I've read about some things where you have thoughts in your head, like something bad happening, or maybe even, even you doing something bad. And we talked about on the podcast before, like how you said that you were in like a public place, like a big meeting. That's real. Like, um, that's real. Like you're kind of nervous to be at oh, anyway, yeah. cause it's a real professional environment. And then like, you have this thought in your head of like, what if you're like, that's bullshit. Yeah. You know, it's like, and you're like almost afraid that you might do it. Yeah. Like, and that's, that's a real uh, psychological thing. It's almost like, uh, you know, it's just in your brain. You're just going to have those random thoughts. But I see this guy's was like turned up to 11, you know, on the the dial. Yeah. Cause it's like, it's the thought of knowing, wow, all I would have to do is stand up right now and say or do whatever. And my entire life trajectory would change. Sure. I'd probably lose my job. I wouldn't have any money. Like my family would just like, it's, it, yeah. it's just to me, it's just knowing that. And I remember the incident you were talking about because I was in a big conference and it was all quiet and there was a guy up at the podium and he was saying, well, the numbers from 2014 to 2019 have been actually quite exciting and what we're going to show here. And I just thought, man, if I just jumped up on my chair, dropped my <laughs> pants, and was just like, oh, I've got the lovely bunch of coconut, you know, while well, I was just like <laughs> waving my weenie around, my that would just destroy my life. It's just, it's almost scary the level of how easily it would be to just destroy your own life. Yeah. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Well, luckily you wouldn't, but <laughs> well, yeah, no, you're no. right. You're right. I mean, I, I've thought about stuff like that before too. Like, it just especially whenever someone's, saying something in front of a bunch of people that you know not to be true, that could be something that could ruin you too if you're like, that's a bunch of malarkey. <laughs> you know, very few people would be like, well, 
you know, even if some of them believed you, they'd be like, oh, that wasn't the right forum. You know, right. that wasn't the right time to do that. Yeah. Anyway, it's, it's crazy. Um, yeah. So, I mean, he had those thoughts of, that were just like incredibly grim and he couldn't get them out of his mind. I almost think to the point that he would, once he carried out one of those, it'd be like a release, like endorphin release, which, you know, I don't know. There's people out there that are in the mental health field that could confirm or deny that. But I almost think that's, he's like, I've just got to do it, you know? Yeah. And it's went the other way. I've read some cases where someone has had these fantasies forever and then they get to the situation of it and it's too real or something, you know, like, Oh, this is nope. Okay. Nope. Yeah. It's actually not what I wanted to do. (laughs) Well, you heard about the guy, there was a guy that worked at this pickle factory and, uh, he came home from work and he said, Hey, is this the beginning of a joke? He said, honey, (laughs) he's like, I I just got to tell you, I'm having irrational thoughts. And she's like, what, what do you, what are you thinking? He's like, well, I have this incredible urge to, to stick my weenie in the pickle slicer at work. And she's like, Oh my God. It's like, yeah, I know. I can't help it. I was just watching at work. And I was like, man, like stick that in there. (laughs) And so, uh, she goes, don't do it. And he said, no, I I wouldn't, I would never do that. But I was thinking about it. And she's like, Oh, okay. You know, you had me worried there. So he came back one day and his head was down and his wife said, what's wrong. And he's like, I did it. I, I stuck it in there. And she says, oh, my God, what happened? It's like, well, her husband didn't think too much of it. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) See, irrational thoughts. Because you get it, y'all. The pickle slicer was not a machine at all. It was a lady that sliced pickles. I (laughs) I told that joke on Reddit one time, and this person's like, I need help. And this the comment below it said, the the girl was a, it was a pickle slicer, like a person, not a machine. Right, yeah. And the person said, oh, well, I don't really eat pickles, so I didn't really get that. It's like, <laughs> was that a prerequisite? That's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I'm not a pickle eater, so. Uh, <laughs> it's like, you, you, if you know what a pickle is, that's the only <laughs> that's prerequisite. It. Yeah, you don't have to like, you don't have to eat them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, well, that's not that's not my kind of joke. I don't eat pickles. <laughs> It's it's like a rabbi, uh, <laughs> a Catholic priest, and walk into a bar. You're like, oh, I'm not religious. No, yeah, yeah. I can't listen yeah, to this. Yeah, I don't even know. I'm not going to understand yeah. the joke. Yeah. Do you know what those things are? Oh, yeah, of course I do. But the joke's not going to get me. <laughs> Never been to mass. <laughs> oh, Jesus. All right. So uh, he writes oh, part Jesus. of the... <laughs> know. After writing this part of the suicide note, he uh, apparently went and picked up Kathleen and returned home without incident. So just after midnight, it's August 1st now, Charles dr- Charles drove to his mother's apartment at 1212 Guadalupe Street. And I thought it was Guadalupe, but I watched uh, the Tower documentary. Okay, yeah. They were calling it Guadalupe, so okay. whatever. Guadalupe. There he rendered her unconscious before fatally stabbing her in the heart. Before leaving her, pl- uh, he placed her body on her bed and covered it with sheets and quickly scrawled a handwritten note that he left by her bedside. Now, this one, bear with me because I didn't type this out. I actually have a copy of the exact handwritten note in his Looks handwriting. Kind of neat. He has neat handwriting, but it's, you know, reading someone else's. Oh, okay. Name. Yeah, it's kind of hard. So it says at the very top, Monday, 8, 1, 66, 12.30 a.m., to whom it may concern. I have just taken my mother's life. I am very upset over having done it. However, I feel that if there is a heaven, she is definitely there now. 
And if there is no life thereafter, I have relived, or I'm sorry, relieved, scribble. Yeah, no, I gotcha. Her of her suffering here on earth. The intense hatred I feel for my father is beyond description. Funny, because who's someone that he didn't kill that day? His father. Yeah. Misplaced aggression, I guess. He was uh, probably too afraid. Maybe so. Yeah. My mother gave that man the best 25 years of her life, and because she finally took enough of his beatings, humiliation, and degradation, and tribulations that I am sure no one but she and he will ever know to leave him. He has chosen to treat her like a slut that you would bed down with, accept her favors, and then throw a pittance in return. I am truly sorry... I, I am truly sorry that this is the only way I could see to relieve her sufferings, but I think it was best. Let there be no doubt in your mind. I love that woman with all my heart. If there exists a God, let him understand my actions and judge me accordingly. Signed, Charles J. Whitman. Yeah. Well, maybe uh, <clears throat> if I were to unpack that, maybe I would think he had some kind of thing in his head that said, I would rather just kill her and then have the the father have to deal with it after I've written this note. Like, see, it's your fault. That's I didn't think about that. Yeah, yeah. Because which he, it doesn't. It's not like it's like, oh yeah, I kind of see where he's coming from. You know, no, but I I could see that logic in his mind. He sure. wants to hurt his father. Yeah, we know his father was totally devastated over her leaving mm-hmm. because of the thousands of dollars spent. Yeah, uh, yeah. Didn't think yeah. about it that way. Anyway. I almost, I almost hate that they found what they found on him later because it almost gets the father off the hook a little bit, which sucks. Which it shouldn't, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if he should. Well, it's my fault he did all that. But when you had a hand, I mean, uh, a little bit of a... Big hand, yeah. I think. Yeah. After murdering his mother, Charles returned home where his wife, Kathleen, lay sleeping. Their four-year wedding anniversary was just two weeks away. He stabbed her three times in the heart as she slept. Hopefully, she never woke up to realize what was happening. After her mur- murder, he covered the body in sheets, just like his mother, and grabbed a ballpoint pen to add to his note, writing, <clears throat> Friends interrupted, 8166, Monday, 3 a.m., both dead. And then he continued, I imagine it appears that I brutally killed both of my loved ones. I was only trying to do a quick, thorough job. In my life insurance pol- If my life insurance policy is valid, please pay off my debts. Donate the rest anonymously to a mental health foundation. Maybe research can prevent further tragedies of this type. Give our dog to my in-laws. Tell them Kathy loved uh, Sco- Scoshi, I think, very much. If you can find in yourselves to grant my last wish, cremate me after the autopsy. He then left instructions in the house requesting that two rolls of film be developed and wrote personal notes to each of his brothers. Whitman last wrote on an envelope labeled Thoughts for the Day, in which he stored a collection of handwritten admonitions. He added on the outside of the envelope, 8166, I never could quite make it. These thoughts are too much for me. Now, uh, the at the very top where he says friends interrupted, um, some friends stopped by while he was writing the note. Um, and I read a, I don't have it here in my notes, but I read an interview with them and they said he was like a hundred percent fine, cordial, joking. It's super weird in the middle of all this. Yeah. Said he was totally fine. <clears throat> it's really bizarre. 
Wow. Um, anyway. At 5.45 a.m., Charles phoned his wife's supervisor at Bell System to explain that Kathy was ill and unable to work that day. He made a similar call to his mother's workplace five hours later. As macabre as this is, it was only the first part of Charles' plan, if you can call it a plan. What followed was the result of months and months of tortured thoughts and violent urges and his losing battle to suppress them. Now he was done fighting. Now he was going to give in completely to the darkness and indulge the horrendous fantasies in his head. It was time to climb the tower. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. Later that morning, Charles cashed bad checks amounting to $2,000 in today's money. He then rented a hand truck and purchased a 30 caliber universal M1 carbine, two additional ammunition magazines, and eight boxes of ammunition at a hardware store. Cashes the bad checks, but he calls in for his mom and his his wife, <laughs> so they're not considered bad employees. Isn't that weird? Yeah, I mean, there's there's some heavy dose of psycho- psychology there that someone could unpack, and but yeah, that's very strange. And again, we're trying to find rationality. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it's yeah, it's here's, just I was just pointing out the irrationality. Here's here's so, here's something that reminds me that this reminds me of Edmund Kemper mm-hmm. later in interviews after way after the fact he, uh, he said that he had picked up cause he was the co-ed killer. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. He had picked up a girl and he was taking her to the place to, you know, kill her. He pulls up, you know, he lets her know you do what I say, or he would say that he was just going to do whatever. He didn't mm-hmm. let him know he was going to kill yeah. her. But obviously, it scared the hell out of her and stuff. As he's coming around to take her seatbelt off and get her out of the car to kill her, he accidentally brushes her breast with his hand. And he said in an interview later that he was really uh, really embarrassed by that and apologized to her and said, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to. You know, anyway, th- and this is right before he's yeah. going to kill her and do things with her that I won't t- say on sure. the podcast. So, yeah, it's like. I don't know why do we we try to we like to find rationality in things, but sometimes it's just not there. Yeah, we we like to say, you know, he he thought of her as a piece of meat, and from the moment he picked her up, and he knew what he's gonna do, and she's not a she's not a human, really. You know, it's it's like dehumanizing, mm-hmm. but that's not the way he felt. No, yeah, BTK, you know. Uh, and a lot of the people that he killed before he killed him, after he tied him up, he he would get him a glass of water, make him comfortable. Uh, he would say a lot of them. He would describe like, uh, you know, I'm sorry, I I suffer from from mental and sexual disabilities and and mental, you know, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's um, okay. Let's let bygones <laughs> be bygones. I know, right? Oh, so th- did you just tie me up to to confess that to me, and now we're good? <laughs> no, that's just. <laughs> phase one yeah, yeah well i mean it's it's just goes to show you it's an incredibly complex thing and i just you know i hope there's been enough you know studying of all this that at least sometimes somebody gets the help that they need um before it gets too crazy for sure so uh at the hardware store he told the bewildered looking clerk he was going to hunt wild hogs with all this heavy ammunition After this, he headed to the gun shop where he bought four more carbine magazines, six additional boxes of ammo, and a can of gun cleaning solvent. From the gun shop, Charles headed over to Sears where he bought a Sears model 60 12-gauge semi-automatic shotgun before finally going back home. 
Once there, he grabbed his old military footlocker and started packing his arsenal and other supplies for the day, which included, here we go, a Remington 700 6mm bolt-action hunting rifle, a 35 caliber pump rifle, an M1 carbine, the 9mm Luger pistol, a Galesi Brescia 25 caliber pistol, forgive me if I mispronounced, a Smith & Wesson M19 357 Magnum revolver, the shotgun, of which he had sawn the barrel off, um, as well as more than 700 rounds of ammunition. He also packed food, coffee, vitamins, dexedrine, excedrin, earplugs, jugs of water, matches, lighter fluid, rope, binoculars, a machete, three knives, a transistor radio, toilet paper, a razor, and a bottle of deodorant. Hmm. Charles finished by pulling on some khaki overalls over his jeans and shirt before packing up his enormous haul and heading to the university campus. I think in his mind, this was going to be a siege at the top of this tower that was going to last for days. Yeah. Literally days. Yeah. He was probably thinking of a, yeah. I mean, definitely sounds like long haul. Yeah. With all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, and the the comments that he made that, you know, like one dude could hold off an army from up here. Yeah. That turned out not to be true. No. No, it didn't. So anyway, spoiler alert. Spoiler. I think people know, though. That he's yeah. not still up there to this day. <laughs> he didn't hold him off for 50 years. <laughs> he reached the University of Texas just before 1130 a.m. where he showed false research assistant identification to obtain a parking permit. He then wheeled his equipment toward the main building of the university, but once inside found the elevator wouldn't work. An employee named Vera Palmer came along and activated it for him. Charles said to her, and I quote, thank you, ma'am. You don't know how happy this makes me. I'm sure she <laughs> felt great later, but how could she know? How could she know? Don't feel bad, Vera. No, I don't feel bad. He exited the elevator on the 27th floor and continued hauling the dolly and equipment up a flight of stairs to a hallway where another flight led to the rooms skirted by the observation deck. It was here that he encountered the first victim of the Bell Tower shooting, 51-year-old receptionist Edna Townsley. He immediately knocked her down, split the back of her skull with his rifle butt, then struck her above the left eye before dragging her behind a couch. Moments later, Cheryl Botts and Don Walden entered the reception area from the observation deck. Walden noticed Whitman's guns and assumed that he was going to the observation deck to shoot pigeons. Charles grinned at them and said, Hi, how are you? As they went down the elevator. Who knows why? There again, what the hell? He, he, didn't, he didn't kill him. Who knows why? Yeah. Wow. It makes no sense. Shortly after this, M.J. Gabor, his wife, Mary Frances, and their sons, Mike and Mark, were climbing the stairs from the 27th floor, along with their friends, Marguerite and William Lamport, when they encountered the desk Charles had placed in the entrance to the reception area at about 1145. As a confused Mike and Mark pushed past the desk, Charles came forward and fired his shotgun, hitting Mike in the shoulder and Mark in the head then fired down the stairs, striking Marguerite and Mary Frances. MJ and William, who were farther down the stairs, were not hit and ran for help. While the others were injured, Mark and Marguerite were both killed. Charles then returned to the already injured Edna Townsley and delivered a fatal shot to the head before proceeding to the observation deck of the bell tower. Once there, Charles unloaded his equipment, strategically, strategically that is, placing guns and supplies at different locations. 
Once everything was in place, he grabbed a rifle and took a position in what was now an absolutely lethal sniper's nest over 200 feet above a busy college campus. And what happened next? We'll get to in part three. You oh. and you and your uh, uh, cliffhanger cliffhanger episode <laughs> ends, uh, which is awesome, by the way. One part I think I left out that I don't know why I didn't write it down, but one thing he did before he took his position, he used that dolly, the hand truck, wedged it against. There was only one door going in and out of that observation. Okay, door. that's what I was going to ask. He wedged it against that. Okay. Uh, and then took his position and, you know, he'd already taken several lives, but part three is going to be about the actual shootings, the yeah. sniper shootings yeah. from the top of the tower. So he's in the tower ready to, uh, release his, uh, or, uh, start his reign of terror yeah. from the tower. This, everything else was a means to an end. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know why he had to kill his wife and mother before this, you know? Yeah. Uh, there's, yeah makes no sense of course this the tower makes none of it makes sense well the only part that kind of makes a little sense uh is that the embarrassment i mean he did love them so he doesn't care to leave the father there because it's like hey who cares right who cares if he's hurt by this um but i don't want my mom and my mother to be hurt by this right so that makes just like the tiniest bit of sense in the madness uh method to the madness i guess that's why they say that Good on you for going serious, because I just for a second, I thought, you know, the one thing that does make a little bit of sense is the deodorant, packing the deodorant. Uh, it does. Because it was hot it that does. day. <laughs> I mean, it, you got to stay cool and in a pressure situation. I'm sure there were commercials back then, just like there are now. Yes. You know, before I go out on a date with my ladybird, I like to use whatever the hell. By men. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, this yeah, great, great end of this episode, but uh, uh, we uh, we w- we want you back on part three so we can talk about the terror from the tower. Yes, part three will be called, and very rightly so, In the Crosshairs. Ooh. And that's where we're going to find out just how depraved he really was. Yeah, yeah. So And how good of a damn shot he really... E- even people, you know, that were there, even police that obviously hate the guy and don't want to say anything good about him, but even they will say like it was bananas. Some yeah. of the shots that he got, there were people, uh, I think the farthest victim from the tower was like 1500 feet. Whoa. I'm not kidding. 500 yards. So yeah. And a lot of these people were so far away. They barely didn't hear shots or barely heard shots. Just kind of walking around. Yeah. Or, and some people knew that shots were coming, but assumed that they were out of the range you know, I, anyway, I, it's crazy. so crazy. It's hard not to get into it, but we got to save something for part three. You're a kid on a bike. Yeah. Yes. Spoiler. A guy in a barbershop looking yeah. out the, it's just bananas. Yeah. Like if Charles Whitman would have ever ended up in a, a military, like a combat situation in an actual sniper tower. Yeah. Uh, oh my God. Yeah. It would have been like go us. You know what I mean? Yeah. It been insane. Yep, but that's what happens when you use your talents in bad ways. That's what I'm saying. It's yeah. tragic. So, okay, well, we'll talk to you guys next week on episode 76, uh, Nighty Night. I'll say it this time. 10,000 plays! Don't, don't, don't Darling, won't you give us a listen? 
You don't know what you're missing if you don't. Don't You can check us out on Twitter. Don't have mantis. Maybe when you're on the shitter later tonight. Don't forget to wipe. Dawnofmantis.com is our website. Be sure to check it out. Be sure to subscribe. Dawn of Mantis. <laughs> you can listen to the Dawn of Mantis just about anywhere you want. Be sure to check us out on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And like the song says, be sure to like and subscribe. And now, on with the show. <laughs>